Hi there, and uh, welcome to Podcasting is Praxis. Uh, we've got a show here today based around campaigning and canvassing. So um, hopefully that will just have, uh, you know, our experiences and uh, of campaigning and uh, some tips about how to get out there during the coming election season. Uh, hell of a lot to fight for, so let's try and uh, do whatever we can to bring in a good government, basically. So who have we got on today? Uh, I'm Chris, here in London, and I'm here with... Alicia, I'm also here in London. Mm. <laughs> uh, I'm Michael. Uh, I've been on previous news episodes, uh, all the way from um, not very sunny today, Glasgow. All right, and I'm Seb, um, back from a bit of a break, but it was decided that I was the best podcaster around, so uh, they brought me back here. <laughs> And I've got many bar graphs to prove that in case anyone is suspicious of that claim. <laughs> okay, uh, so let's start off with the news. Um, so a lot happening, obviously, in election season. Claims and uh, various other incidents happening all around the country. Uh, but generally, just starting off, like... Um, got a d credit down rating from Moody's. Now, uh, that's one of the credit rating organizations that absolutely stuffed up all of the um, credit ratings before the great um, you know, financial crisis of 2000 to 2008. So can't take it too seriously. But um, last, month, uh, last quarter, we uh, did have a contraction of uh, the, the country's GDP. And so if that happens again, we'll actually be in recession. So that would be pretty damn devastating for uh, certainly the, the Tories campaign if that came out in the middle of it. Uh, but it does also imply that things continue to go to hell in the country generally. So yeah. sort of a mixed bag there. They say paralysis in policymaking is the reason. Which yes. Yeah, there was. Um, sounds like a pretty good well, analysis. A variety of, of claims. But yeah, we're uh, <laughs> it's not looking good. <laughs> Yeah. And speaking of bad looks as well, there's uh, also a sort of suppressed paper going on about um, threats posed to UK democracy, which is attempting or supposedly is saying that there is uh, a number of very, very rich Russian uh, oligarchs that are also sort of Tory donors and friends of the prime minister and things like that. So I'm Again, potentially a bit of a bombshell if that actually does get released. So, haha, you. There was already some details around this at the start of the year. Uh, if you'll remember right, um, uh, back in May, uh, the Mirror had an article saying that Theresa May had accepted nearly £3 million from donors with links to Russia. Uh, one such person was Lubov Chernukin, um, who I believe was potentially, though the names haven't been released for who's going to be in the 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 withheld report and um, but i believe chernukin uh, was potentially one of the ones that was going to be around there um the one that's most closely linked is alexander uh Tumerko, uh who's a foreign uh kremlin defense ministry uh person uh, and he's apparently a, a sort of a, a close friend of uh boris johnson has given something like a 1.2 million pounds to the tories over the last seven years um, what's unclear about this is obviously uh, uh, the Tories have blocked the release of uh, the report um, of uh, the intelligence report of uh, Russian influence in uh, British democracy. Um, what's not clear is whether or not these names, um, when they're when the document is released, 
will be in the normal full document or um, as well as the normal document, there'll be a sort of a, a classified additional um, section, um, a classified annex, um, which might be where these names end up. And that's part of the, the conversation that's ongoing at the moment. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the fact that they've leaked now is still looking pretty bad, um, but it's just sort of whether it's ever going to get corroborated or not. It's not exactly a secret that the Tories get most of their money from either the dead or the insanely rich. So <laughs> it's like, just like, ah. Yeah, it has been, it's been hidden quite a lot, I think, in the headlines, though. It's only people I know that are super politically engaged that are actually picking up on this story, which is a real shame. They're being distracted by other things that are going on. Well, I mean, th there's a little hesitation, at least on my part, to make too much of a huge deal about this because you know people are going to play up the fact that they're russian far more than the fact that they're uber rich capitalists so that the threat posed is basically from their wealth rather than the part of the world they're from yeah so it's always a danger if that gets brought in the counterpoint i'd present to that is the fact that so much of the media still likes to pretend that russia's still the ussr um, and that's how they frame it whenever um, there's any Russian link of any kind at any point in a Corbynade's history. Um, uh, you know, they constantly talk about uh, Seamus Milne having um, spent some time in Russia, uh, whilst failing to mention that Dominic Cummings spent three years post um, uh, the fall of the, the Soviet bloc, spending a lot of time with many of these now very rich oligarchs. Mm -hmm. um, so... Whilst I agree that their wealth is the important thing, how they got their wealth is vastly important. And it's also relevant in terms of framing the conversation nationally when we're talking about Russia to begin with. And then, yeah, so like the thing I've really picked up this week on the news is what's going on with flooding. You know, Boris saying that it's not a national emergency, that he doesn't want to give money to it. And then there's this, I don't know if you've, any of you have seen, but there's this hilarious picture of him and an optician smiling with a mop. And that's his contribution currently. So <laughs> I, it's, it's strange because I want to be surprised when I see these things now, but I'm, I almost expect them. So I mean, there was a story at the time of the London riots um, whereby Boris turned up when he was mayor at the time turned up after um, all the sort of damage and debris and whatnot had been uh, already cleaned up um, so, so that he could get his um, his photo up. Um, <laughs> they had to get somebody to chuck some of the debris back down onto the <laughs> ground so that he could pick up a broom and push it aside um, for a photo op and then fuck off again. <laughs> um, so it's not really much different um, than, than what he did as he was mayor. It's just ridiculous. He's He's got a massive cheesy grin on his face holding this mop. And it's just like, what are you doing? You know, a lady, he did it. In, if I remember correctly, he he's in an optician's in Matlock, which is where that woman was found. Who yeah. died, which is just, you know, so insensitive. And he's the prime minister. He's not just, you know, a, a, a candidate running for MP. He's supposed to be the best <laughs> oh god there's a horrible thought it's, it's, uh... i don't think anybody's ever accused boris of being the best yeah <laughs> uh yeah it's very it's very disturbing and i also saw a very good tweet about it that i enjoyed this week which was a guy called uh rich Gouge who 
tweeted at Jacob Rees-Mogg about the flood saying, should people stay in Meadow Hall as advised or should they use their common sense and swim for it? Which I thought was a really nice, <laughs> really nice play following his uh, comments about Grenfell. Yeah, and I'm still really annoyed that the comments in Grenfell have disappeared as quickly as they have. Yeah. Um, it took Hamza Yusuf bringing it up on Question Time um, this week and comments that I, I echoed. Uh, and then the fact that Andrew Bridgen uh, went out to try and spin for Jacob yeah. um, uh, and said something, as I said in Question Time, equally appalling. Uh, and all of that's just went straight under the rug because mm. Ian Austin happened to mention, and I know this has already been covered, but Ian Austin happened to say, oh yeah, but vote Tory. Yeah, it's it's really bad. We were, um, I was canvassing actually at Grem, like you could see Grenfell from where I was in Kensington on Thursday and the people there were just absolutely almost, you know, heartbroken that that's how people that they were friends with, people in their community were being spoken about by our government. It was, yeah. it, it was really distressing to, to see people's responses to that actually. But that's the thing it'll only cut through with people that are either directly connected to, to it or largely speaking are already anti-Tory um, I have a feeling that this is actually going to stick, hang around Jacob Rees-Mogg's neck for a while it feels like it confirms the stereotype that everyone sees him as So yeah but the people voting for him don't care about that stereotype or if they do they see it as a positive what's his majority? it's not that big is it? no it's huge <laughs> it's not going to cost him his seat <laughs> He's, he's, yeah, he's... that's the depressing takeaway from his comments. Basically, it, it won't, it will negatively affect his sort of public appearances, I suppose, but it's not going to affect him being an MP significantly. No, it's he got fifty three point six percent of the vote uh, in twenty seventeen. That's a ten and a half thousand majority. Wow. Uh, oh well, that's a shame. So, yeah, um, maybe next time. I... Then uh, you guys heard about the Jonathan Friedland, uh, the intrepid reporter Jonathan Friedland's big scoop of the week. Uh, that uh, he uh, got word from his uh, trusted Labour sources that uh, Majid Mahmood, who's um, on the Labour shortlist for the Birmingham Hall Green constituency, was ranting online that he wanted to shoot, uh, quote, all Israeli Zionists dead and to blow up the chosen people, which is shocking comments. Uh, absolutely well, unacceptable. He's a responsible journalist, you know, the public needs to know. He needs but... to know. So, you know a, you could not say this, and he, if it was, he should rightly be gotten rid of. Unfortunately, it was the wrong Majid Mahmood. So it was just someone who happened to have the same name. Uh, and maybe not a good idea to libel a solicitor in a national paper on their news blog. Um, the <laughs> tweets were taken down very quickly and a groveling Good. apology was put up. The trusted Labour source was downgraded to a previously reliable Labour source and he said that he uh, commented on it too hastily. I, he's also, I believe, since deleted his Twitter account. Oh, really? Oh, well. The whole thing? Oh. <laughs> I, I don't know if he's just deleted all former tweets, but he certainly deleted some number of, of prior um, uh, aspects. There is one main character every day on Twitter, and he became it. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Although, actually, was 
did that happen Friday or Saturday? Because uh, I think the I... the main character yesterday was the Lib Dem candidate who uh, told people to escape austerity by going and doing a ski season in, in Davos. <laughs> oh my god, I hadn't even heard about this. I missed that entirely. <laughs> what? So anyway, it, yeah, it's election time. It, it is a hard <laughs> competition now for the main character of Twitter. It could literally we will be anyone. Our way to prosperity. Oh, that is amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, shit. It was Real, absolute Lib Dem stereotyping here, just uh, callous, out of touch kind of stuff. <laughs> I know that's why when people say to me that they're trying to decide between the Liberal Democrats and Labour, I feel very offended because I don't think it's a good comparison. No, when not at all. Say that to me, I, I look outraged every single time at the <laughs> suggestion that we are in the same group or alliance. I, you know, I get very frustrated by it. But all I have to do is show people Joe Swinson's voting record and then they, they see yeah. it. Yeah, mm. I'll do it. <laughs> Talking of people um, voting or not voting for Labour, um, this week the Labour NEC decided that Chris Williamson and a couple of other people would not be valid. Um, to be Labour candidates at this election. Um, I believe the others have all taken it in stride or no longer um, attempting stand or anything else like that. But Chris Williamson has, has been his method uh, since first being suspended by the Labour Party continues to make the entire movement about himself. Um, I'm not going to make a value judgment as to whether or not what Chris Williamson did was right or wrong. But the main thing about it is he's brought the Labour Party into disrepute. He's damaging the Labour Party. Uh, and that's why he was suspended. And that ultimately, that's correct. And ever since then, he's continued to bring the Labour Party into disrepute. Yeah, so Chris Williamson is choosing to stand as an independent socialist um, in his Derby North uh, constituency. Uh, Chris didn't win it by a huge margin in 2017. Uh, his majority is a little over 2,000. Um, so now, presumably, he's going to take some number of votes away from Labour. I'd originally heard some, a few people, saying maybe he's just standing so that he can get the, the payout for being an MP that loses their seat. Um, mm -hmm. However, he seems to be making an active attempt, including through a couple of friendly-to-him media sources, to make sure that he's genuinely going for it. He's asking Labour not to stand a candidate against him. Um, which isn't going to happen. Um, I, don't get me wrong, I believe there were elements of his CLP that were um, broadly on his side, but at the end of the day, the Labour CLP is going to elect a Labour candidate, not an independent socialist candidate. An independent um, socialist sounds a bit like a contradiction in terms, really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, so... Um, in 2017, he got about 23,500 votes, um, just as I said, 2,000 ahead of the Tory. And then the Lib Dems got uh, two and a bit thousand as well. In fact, the Lib Dems, um, if they'd all voted Tory, would have given the seat to the Tories. It's a small margin. Um, so assuming things are similar here, if there's a bleed off of votes um, on both sides of the Tories lose to the Lib Dems, but if Labour lose to the Lib Dems and Chris Williamson, then it's going to be the Tories that get the seat. So he's... he's He's handing it away. Yeah, mm. it's a real problem. Um, like, yeah, I I guess that um, if he feels that he's wronged, then obviously he's still entitled to stand as an MP and stuff like this. But it's really him obviously prioritising him and his message over the Labour Party. 
and mm. that's at a critical time like this not really acceptable i think he's no. kind of just destroyed most of any the reputation he'll have built up you know like for a long time i've been like oh well he 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 says things that get interpreted really badly but then he keeps saying these things that are so open to misinterpretation and he just kind of needed to to learn to control what he's saying and doing a bit more um to be an effective representative for the labor party but now he's just done this and it's like god's sake man <laughs> technically right but saying things at the wrong time in the wrong way it's like yes okay fine you have maybe have a point but you don't have to like if you've expressed it in a very destructive way well yeah and, and this is unfortunately just even more of that yeah but then we have boris and trump who say whatever they want whenever they want and it doesn't matter so you've got you know leaders of the country not setting a very good example yeah so politics is very different now because of that i think so they just don't know where the lines are anymore the false equivalency of the left and the right and and media landscape both in the uk and america and elsewhere has been present for a long time it's not just a a, a trump-esque thing don't get me wrong they're taking it to the illogical extremes um, to a certain extent, but uh, they're just taking advantage of a situation that has been present and has been true for um, certainly as long as I can recall. Um, the difference was that back in the day, um, there wasn't a real left to be attacked for it. But do you not think now it's slightly, it's exacerbated in a way because of the fact that people know if they say things that aren't politically correct and actually discriminate, that even though it offends a few it is favourable to a majority. So it's creating a environment whereby people are willing to risk saying something that is that society would deem as wrong because they know there's lots of people in society that now align with those views. Do you see what I mean? Well, yeah, so but like that's sort of... Uh, it's a much broader question about the boundaries and who's defining them rather than you know yeah, like fact, breaking out of yeah. the the right wing neoliberal there is no alternative framework has been essential that's what the left project has been trying to do for the last like 40 years and uh it's only just now succeeding so it's not just that people are now willing to step outside of it it's it's still always more about the content of what they're stepping outside to do mm-hmm and, and, you know, whether they've got the actual um, structures around them to do it, you know, whether it's dark money, whether it's momentum, whether it's social media, etc., that the avenues now exist rather than any kind of uh, individual willingness. You know, like there's always been always been you know, very small uh, communist parties dotted around and, and suddenly now socialism is making it a bit more bigger, a bit more popular. Mm -hmm. Well, now it seems as good a time as any to move on to trying to get communism or socialism into number 10. Uh, so let's go on to our main topic of the week uh, and try and talk a little bit about campaigning and canvassing. Um, first off, we have um, a, a recording that's um, uh, been made uh, with a, a, a separate contributor. Um, uh, that's that's going to uh, explain um, uh, Parda uh, and and how that works uh, in in the UK um, that Seb recorded earlier today. Hi there. Just to say that our 
uh, guest today is here at a purely technical advisory capacity. Uh, they're here to explain the details of Perda and their involvement is in no way an endorsement or involvement in the rest of the political content on the podcast. So, Perda, what is it? Okay, Perda is it's a policy adopted by both the civil service and local government and by the media in the run-up to an election, uh, a general election. It generally, I do not think, applies to referenda, although it could if those referenda are politically aligned. Uh, what it is, it's, it's essentially it is a promise of neutrality and even-handedness. Uh, it's different between the media and local government. The media's role is to give everybody an equal chance to express their views. In the case of local government, it is to ensure that the local government stays out of it. Uh, th this is important because local councils are the ones who host and uh, organise the local elections. And so, for instance, if a constituency or local authority, the constituencies within, if that council was showing uh, bias to one side or another, the legitimacy of the election would be called into doubt. Uh, because that's basically campaigning for them. Correct. It's especially important with the postal votes. Uh, I've worked a number of elections, and one of the things that always comes up is how do we know the postal votes aren't being doctored? And the answer to that is because they're being kept aside. Uh, they, they're actually put into ballot boxes, uh, at least in my authority they are. I don't know how other ones handle it, uh, which is not known. People think, OK, they just open up the envelopes and they stick them in a big pile. The answer is no, they get put into a ballot box, uh, but they get put into the ballot boxes in a specific number. So when the ballot boxes come for the verification check... Uh, everyone knows that there is meant to be exactly so many in that box. It's a bit easier, and if it doesn't add up to that count, then you've got to count it again. Oh, so is that so a specific all, it is all ballot box for postal votes, or do they actually end up getting... Yes. Ah, okay. Yes, they, ha they have their own ballot boxes, which are labelled postal votes right. or something similar. But as I say, I can only describe what happens in my own particular personal experience because I know that other authorities do it differently. Sure. Uh, for example, Sunderland, they love to get their results in first. Mm. So they employ 2,000 people for an hour. <laughs> wow. Whereas uh, my authority tends to employ 300, 400 for several hours well quite a long time we we obviously we start counting the postal votes the second the polls close because they're already there and it's something to do while waiting for the ballot boxes to be delivered from the various polling stations okay um, so back to perda yes. um yes what sort of things can't councils or you know government do under perda right well, as i said the first and most important rule is impartiality Every council employee and general civil servant is required to carry out their duties in a completely neutral way. But this also means that the council cannot be seen to be working with a party. Uh, so everything you do, you do for your council or for the civil service. Another important thing is the facilities and the staff are not to be used for political purposes. So if 
a party comes to the council and says, we want to book, you know, a room in this community centre to serve as our HQ, the council has to refuse, or should, generally speaking, refuse. Because even though the council is going to have enough properties for everyone to do it, not everyone can necessarily afford it, and also it's visible. The same goes for equipment, it goes for research, it definitely goes for publicity. Uh, it is absolutely verboten for council resources uh, to be used for campaigning or party political activities. So that in, that's anything up to and including letting them use your printer. Oh, really? That strict, even, you know, sort of A4 sheets Yeah, of it is that yeah. strict. It is that strict. Uh, there, there are obviously exceptions. Generally speaking, if you're saying, yes, you have to pay for it, hand over the money, uh, then it will generally be considered reasonable because as long as everybody would be being charged. Mm. But the, but then you've got to have the service open to everybody. Yeah. Are they required not to sort of publicise the, what they can do to the various parties or is it very much a case of just saying yes or no to requests when they come in? The parties should already know. True. Uh, they should not be asking uh, they shouldn't even really be asking for council uh, library photographs. Like, if we have a photograph of a school and they want to use it, then we have to know what exactly what it's going to be used for before permission is granted. Mm. Because anything else can be seen to be an endorsement of policy. Right. Uh, I issuing publicity based on controversial issues or reporting the views or policies of any candidate or party in such a way that they can be identified is is out of the question. Right. Uh, <clears throat> so, for instance, this goes for existing policy as well. So imagine a Tory-run council and there is an announcement that the art gallery is going to reopen after the £2 million refurb. That's fine. That's not a problem. But when you say that the, the local art gallery will be reopening after the council's two million pound refurb that is slightly different and it's especially different if you say the two million pound refurb authorized by the tory council yeah because at that point you are giving a political party credit for the actions of the council as a whole yeah so they're, they're still obviously making announcements about reality but you know making sure it's uh you know separated from any particular uh you know responsibility but I guess that cuts both ways, both the good and the bad, doesn't it? Yeah. Some of it, you could say it is a convenient fiction. Everybody knows who did it, but it's polite not to say. No, right. Because it would influence the decisions of voters. No, the voters true. should already have made up their mind based on what they've seen people doing. Yeah. So if the potholes aren't fixed in the road, you don't announce the next council... Or if the council is returned, they're going to go in for a pothole replacement. No, because that's basically filling. campaigning. Yeah. yeah, because you're just campaigning at that point, yes. Yeah. Right. Um, so does sort of Perda like increase or decrease the amount of work that the council has to do? Because obviously there's all this stuff that they're then sort of not allowed to do at all. Um, but then also they have to be 
careful and thinking about what it is that they're continuing to do. So does that sort of increase or decrease the workload or is that impossible to tell because they're doing actual the election preparations as well? The answer to that is neither, actually. In, as a general view, working within the council, your workload won't change at all. All that actually matters is how you express what you do. And most people in the council actually take... I'm not going to say that they consider themselves to be under purdue at all times, but you know, as a general rule, people act as if they are. There are very few people who would actually bring politics into their job. Their job is working for the council or for the civil service. And so it's them doing their job is just doing their job no matter what happens. It's, it's simply about being a little more careful about what you say so you don't accidentally align yourself with the party. Right. Okay. Um, well, yeah, um, that's been very helpful. Very interesting. Thank you for coming on. Um, is there any other aspects of Perda that uh, you'd like to talk about and make mention that you haven't before? Yeah, it's, this is mostly the things that you should be looking out for a council not doing. Uh, uh, I already said you, the council resources should not be used uh, unless they are something that is freely available anyway and unlimited in supply, like reproducing data. Uh, you shouldn't allow council researchers to be used for political purposes but the actual products of research that has already been done are fine, again, so long as they are available to everybody and not associated with the party that is asking for them. So if, the so if a party says, have you got information on homelessness, then you publish the homelessness. And, and you don't say, yes, here's the numbers, use them. You say, the link to the council's data is here. So when they use the data they come directly to the original untainted source. Mm. I say untainted, unbiased might be a better word, but the, the apolitical source. Yeah, yeah. Something that you can say that you haven't edited or changed because of that. Yeah, giving question. financial assistance to anybody in publishing material that is campaigning for or raising support for a party or a candidate is completely out uh, supporting them by giving access to facilities is out. Publishing material yourself that endorses a party or a candidate is out. Essentially, the whole thing, everything you see from a council should nowhere on it have the name of any party. That is the most important thing. Right. And if uh, somebody thinks that, that they, you know, the council has produced something breaking Perda, what should they do? That's tricky uh, obviously it needs to be reported to someone the someone is probably the electoral commission right uh, this is not something we are informed about because if we're doing it then we would be confessing to ourselves mm. um, <clears throat> there is an election if you contact your council uh, decisions do often come down to the judgment of the officers in the elections team which is generally, at least, again, in the case of my local authority, it is directly uh, under the head of the council operations. And we're not with the council chief executive. We're not talking about the, the lead councillor or the Lord Provost or whatever you might have. We're talking about the man who is the head of council 
operations, the actual staff. So underneath him are the departmental heads, the service heads, and under them are the team heads and everyone else down to the clerical staff at the bottom. The actual staff of the council, not the councillors themselves. There is a team that makes these judgments. If you contact your local council, they will be able to tell you who you should be talking to within that council to report an issue about an individual. If it is systemic in a council, then yes, you're looking at the Electoral Commission, I think. Right, great. Okay, oh, thank you for coming on. Thanks for answering my questions. It's been very helpful. Hopefully uh, the listeners will find that useful in the election period as well. Uh, so thank you once again and uh, hope to have you back on at some point, maybe in the future outside of Perda. Thank you. Yeah. OK. So um, that was great uh, getting that contribution, explaining, you know, certainly actual government institutions and stuff like that. They're suddenly not able to play as much as a big political role, um, you know, actually doing various uh, re releases, using resources, etc. in certain ways. Um, and there's been, you know, quite a lot of uh, stress put on that by sort of the left wing, you know, it's like as soon as Perda comes in, then uh, we're going to, the press will actually start being fair to Corbyn or whatever. Um, and I, I think Perda, like it, it was used, uh, you know, to mean both the Ofcom regulations and government Perda uh, just then. But uh, I, I think sort of the Ofcom stuff isn't really meant to be called Perda. It usually just it's not yeah thought so um but yeah like it, it's colloquially everyone does do it so it's just like yeah okay whatever um i believe officially it's just part of the election reporting restrictions mm, yeah uh but uh only applies for sort of actual you know television and uh presumably yeah, radio broadcast as well? media yeah <laughs> yeah so unfortunately uh the papers are still basically allowed to do what they've always been doing and uh <laughs> They are doing so. So again, well, less of a monstering of Corbyn so far. I can't imagine that's going to last too long. But, um, you know, sort of the... I think they've realised the personal attacks on Corbyn haven't been working. The problem that they're having now is that they went, okay, so personal attacks on Corbyn don't work. How about we personally attack other people in the Labour Party rather than going personal attacks don't work? Yeah, yeah. The problem is that they know that they can't attack policy. Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, certainly, with what the Tory manifesto, I guess, is shaping up to be, it's it's you know just a a labour light version of spending, when trying to you know exaggerate. Well, not even necessarily exaggerate, but um, exaggerate the harms that spending money on public services is supposed to do. So, um, yeah, it's like interviews like, oh, my God, they're going to spend one point two trillion and uh, then completely <laughs> refusing to answer how much the the Tory manifesto might end up costing and stuff like that. Yeah, that quasi quartang interview was a bit of a trash fire this morning. Yes, yes, exactly. He's um, I mean, he, he remembered some of the costings, uh, God bless him, of uh, certain policies. But, yeah, it's just like well, no, we can't possibly cost our whole manifesto. That's not what we're here for. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's um, and basically going back, my point is that it, it's absolutely not a panacea um, of actually, you know, fair reporting because huge sections of the press aren't actually covered by it. And uh, 
you know the the fair and balanced stuff from the uh the other media that is covered by it is still it can still be fairly impotent in some ways because you still structure the conversation in such ways that reflects negatively on a particular policy or a party and it's yeah so the the, the around election times the the newspapers try a lot harder um they don't as you said need to pay direct attention to a lot of the impartiality rules but how they frame some of the attacks matters because part of the reason why the the papers being so um partisan uh, tory matters as much as it does is less about the actual people um uh, talking or reading uh, the newspapers um, the issue they have is the influence that they have on the broadcast media. They get to set the tone um, of the debates and they get to set the topic of debates in a lot of circumstances. Uh, the Sun's circulation is now under uh, one and a half million, um, uh, which is the highest paid one. Uh, Metro's got a little bit of a higher uh, circulation than them now. Um, and then the Daily Mail's um, about uh, one and a quarter million. And then after that, it's all sub a million. Uh, the Guardian itself is so only about 140,000. Mm. All of these numbers have absolutely tumbled half or more um, since 2010. Um, so the main influence that the newspapers have is being able to set the tone and topic of um, the conversation that's going on, which is why the papers are sort of currently branding it as, rather than saying taking um, public spending back to the 70s, and that is a, a line that they are using somewhat, and the main thing that they're doing is sort of picking a, a random bullshit top line figure that the Tories have came up with, the what supposed one trillion pounds um, figure, um, and then they're banding that around because if that's something that the Tories have produced um, and it's apparently going to be what is what the costing is for Labour, um, there are theoretically non-partisan ways that the broadcast media can bring those figures up. Um, whereas if it was just Labour is going to ruin your country by not bringing out the bins and giving us a three-day working weekend, etc., etc., all the things that were actually Eden's fault, not Labour's. Um, if you do that, then the broadcast media aren't able to directly pick up um, a lot of these topics uh, uh, directly. Yeah, yeah, they're still... I, no, well, I don't really know how to describe it, yeah, because it's, it's just... It's like a physical expression still of much of the, uh, you know, the, well, yeah, a physical expression of the right wing control of society, really, that they're still, you know, f add all the papers together and, you know, sort of maybe one in six people would be reading a right wing newspaper at most, something like that. And uh, but still, they they set the the dominant tone in a lot of ways for the entire country. Yeah, and, and you know, yeah. things like the Metro and the the Evening Standard, all the conversations I'm having with people around me, you can tell are being led by the headlines of those newspapers, which just further illustrates the points you both just made, that it does really set the tone for conversation, which then sets the tone for conversation on social media, because if that's what everyone's talking about, that's then what dominates. Mm. which yeah. is really interesting and you see that on the doors as well you can you can always guess the topics that are going to come up <laughs> by constituency and you know front pages of the paper the evening standard especially because it comes out obviously that's what lots of people are reading on their commute home 
yeah it it's strange um because apart from obviously efficient and proper regulation of what's getting printed how it's it's hard to think about like information has can be diffused in a lot of ways but then how can you create a new media model so it's a difficult way of uh you know a, a difficult thing to think about just how people can convey the the information the first time you know sort of like if you get in there first with your story then you're always at an advantage and everyone else is playing catch up yeah but yeah that's very much a task for yeah the left and political campaigners to always try and answer that to make sure they can get in there first mm-hmm. so moving back more specifically to uh, what the labor party and uh, others are doing in this particular campaign season though we're starting to see um the difference in the rallies again so corbyn has been around to various places in the country already and hosting pretty big rallies you know sort of filling rooms um getting into you know a bit glad handing almost with uh various people stuff like that boris is uh renting warehouses and then getting sort of 30 people to uh stand behind him while the cameras look at that and uh, um, making that all the publicity shots there so they're really showing the difference in terms of what the two parties are capable of that uh, Labour definitely has more people doing things and Tories have more management of the people they have Forrest was supposed to be the Tory candidate who would be the man of the people who could you know speak to crowds and walk down a street but it seems that he's been giving the Theresa May treatment of putting him with a carefully controlled group of people who won't speak up and say anything in drafty warehouses. Yeah, I mean, um, he visited a school the other day and they locked the sixth form in their common room or something <laughs> so that none of them would get anywhere near him, <laughs> which oh, I thought God. was hilarious. <laughs> but, you know, Boris Johnson's scared of 16-year-olds. Mm-hmm. But given what certain Tories are capable of emotionally wise to 16 year olds, maybe that's a better feeling for him to have. (laughs) (laughs) Oh shit. Okay. No, remove that. (laughs) Okay. um, Yeah. Should we chat about um, Facebook versus Twitter? Bring that up now. So yeah, Facebook uh, and Twitter have chosen radically different um, uh, stances for how they are going to handle um, political ads uh, from now on. And, both of these announcements seemed to be underway prior to the the announcement of the UK election. Certainly Facebook's announcement was fully out ahead of time. Um, Twitter's announcement came out after the UK election was called, um, but seemed, seems to have been in the works for a while. Twitter's stance is that they are going to ban political and issue ads. Um, uh, and I believe that's just a blanket um statement um across the board as i understand it so labor or the tories or brexit party or vote leave for example won't be able to promote um ads on twitter um the issue where it kind of falls apart outside of election periods is that climate change is counted as an issue ad so extinction rebellion or greenpeace can't advertise Mm. however presumably Shell can say, hey, look, our petrol's so great, you should buy it instead of our competitors. And that doesn't count as an issue ad because whilst they're the people who are directly 
responsible for um, climate change, um, they're not actually talking about climate change in any direct way other than how their product influences it. Um, so it makes a sort of an uneven uh, playing ground um, for them. So I hope Twitter does continue to evolve its strategy. But I think overall, it's going to be a net good compared certainly um, to the Facebook alternative um, where uh, Nick Clegg, who is the uh, person, I believe, responsible for um, this section of Facebook's policy, um, uh, how that's developed is that they are not going to ban basically any political ads, including if they straight up lie. Um, that is right. What's Facebook's head again, sorry? What's his name? Mark Zuckerberg, you mean? Or... Yeah. Zuckerberg, thank you. Yeah, so Mark Zuckerberg was at the US House of Congress and he was being challenged by a couple of uh, Congress people, including Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who frankly tore him to pieces um, with her questions. He was not prepared for him in the least uh, and was not even able to muddle his way through them. Um, and it wouldn't have required much preparation, let me tell you. Um, but yeah, in that, Mark basically indicated that the only ads that they'd be pulling were ones that would um, either uh, attempt to disenfranchise people. So, for example, if you targeted black voters and said the election's on a different day to what it actually is, they'll remove that um, because <laughs> well, it's an attempt to disenfranchise. Yeah, um, att that's attempting to disenfranchise people. Um, I believe they'll also remove any political ads or anything else that's going to encur encourage violence. But beyond that, it's basically fair yeah, game. I mean, so I'm pretty sure they mentioned uh, in the podcast uh, uh, earlier in the week or last week um, about the Tories editing a video of Keir Starmer um, yeah. uh, speaking on one of the morning news shows. Uh, the Tories edited it to make it look like he was hesitating a lot uh, before he was able to answer a question, which he was most definitely not. Facebook have confirmed that they would have no problem with that video being uploaded as an ad to their platform. Yeah, the whole editing situation is only going to get worse as well now with sort of the various deep fake technologies and stuff. It's like that whoever is now the host kind of needs to be taking a real proactive approach to these sorts of things, which makes Facebook's admission so incredible to me that, you know, the the pretending that they're still just like a a neutral connecting host um of people rather than the proliferation the distributor of all of this stuff and yeah somehow that's got to change do you think they can maintain this policy on ads or are they going to now that twitter's gone down the route of banning it are they going to have to follow or will they be um sticking with what they've got i think they'll be unaffected by twitter yeah, I think Facebook have kind of bought themselves out of trouble. You know, they're, they're yeah. connected enough to sort of the, the state sections and polit politicians in the USA that they, they probably aren't going to be facing any particular comebacks, even if they start costing particular politicians their seats. Funky and fresh rebranding this week from Facebook to Facebook. <laughs> Yeah, what the hell was that? I, I don't understand. That. It's so that the boomers can hear it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. But yeah, so that like um, the the restrictions and uh, you know self-imposed restrictions that uh, the organisations are putting on are still heavily biased against you know sort of actual left-wing campaigns and stuff. Because even the Twitter one, as you were saying, uh, Michael, that there's just uh, you know 
regular everyday capitalist stuff gets advertised, but pointing out the negative consequences of everyday capitalism is an issue and won't be allowed. So there's still biases inherent in this, like the. But you know, the the, uh, the, Twitter, the Twitter ad ban is a huge benefit. It benefits Labour disproportionately because when the Tories put out ads on Twitter, uh, non-promoted ones, they don't get shared. I think the Labour ones would probably get shared ten or twenty times more, just from organic retweets. So the fact that the Tories can't buy the coverage while Labour get, essentially get it for free is that's you know that's a big uh, a big feather in our cap. But then, oh, yeah. The problem is it's a matter of demographics. Yeah. The Twitter demographic, especially um, the, the, the ones who will pay any attention to political ads, um, overwhelmingly skews young. And that's already, pardon me, a demographic that Labour have um, something like now 49% of under 35s are planning on voting Labour. Yeah. Um, that number might even be up now. Um, uh, I know at the start of the campaign, it was already pretty high for Labour and has only been going up as Labour reclaims more and more of the, the, the Lib Dem vote share, especially in the um, under tw- under-25s, if I remember the numbers right. Whereas the Facebook um, demographic very much leans towards the, the, the 55 and up um, space now. Uh, and that's uh, where the Tories are still able to advertise. And they're now able to advertise without impunity. They can literally lie um and facebook won't do a damn thing yeah it's it's still the bubble phenomenon you know like yes certain things will get shared but you'll only see them if you're already in those areas um it's certainly on twitter but also on facebook but yeah with facebook and its general uh, demographic and other targeting stuff then yeah the who knows exactly if the truth is ever going to intrude on these spaces again anyway shall we move on to what we can actually do um in person or or, or uh, positive things or what we can actually do to influence things uh, alicia i believe you've got the most experience i think Dave um, actually, with, yeah. with regards so if you want to kick us <laughs> off um all right well we'll lead off with both of our experiences i started my uh campaigning career in 1997 being a cheerleader for tony blair so um yeah <laughs> well hey, nobody, look how far you've come I was a kid um, and I canvassed for Labour in 2001. After 2003, my enthusiasm waned a bit for various reasons. I'm sure you can fill in the blanks on that. But um, I came back into it in a big way in 2015. So I uh, worked on Jeremy Corbyn's first leadership campaign. I was uh, working on the phones for that. I was getting in, organising Labour members and it was very inspiring to see uh, Jeremy go from... The, M- my, the local MP that I liked to a national figure and hugely popular. So, um, because I used to uh, run a renter's rights group called Islington Private Tenants. Um, well, I didn't run it, I assisted with it. But, um, so we met Jeremy um, and he he is very inspiring in that he's a very normal person who does, you know, he's his stature growing as it has, has really made me want to get more and more involved in politics, which is what I did in 2017 when I was uh, campaigning in, I did a lot of campaigning in Battersea. Um, And now in 2019, where I'm spending pretty much every single minute of my free time out on the streets. Yeah, and that's where, how we met on 
Tuesday? Yeah, we just met on Tuesday. On the um, We were out at the rally for Ali Milani, who's trying to unseat Boris Johnson. So 300 people after work on a wet, cold, windy, horrible Tuesday turned up to support. So, yeah, that was amazing. And I have... I joined the Labour Party in 2012. I'd done a bit of door knocking um, at the very beginning, just more, you know, when Labour go around and try and work out what's going on in places, but then properly got involved in... uh, in Rupert Huck, who was my um, candidate in Ealing Central and Acton's campaign in 2015. I felt very, very inspired by Ed Miliband. was very sad. The rest of the country was not with me on that one. <laughs> and, um, yeah, really, really sad. And found out that we, her ECA, um, had won by 274 votes, I believe. Found that out at 3.30 in the morning. And then after that, if I'm honest, became very, very disheartened uh, around uh, politics because of, you know, what had happened. I was I was really blindsided by it all uh, when the exit poll... 2015, like... 2015 very much felt like how I imagine most Labour supporters felt in 1992. Yeah, yeah it's horrific. Like, I remember... I don't know if you, if you remember, like, I... I obviously, because on the doors, you have to be like the perkiest like most optimistic person you have you can have not one seed of doubt in your mind because otherwise there's no way you're going to be able to convince other people why what you believe in and what the Labour Party stands for is so important for this country so in 2015 I remember I was like on my way to the pub on like the district line uh, and my dad messaged me saying darling exit polls have come out and like sent it to me and I just didn't I just turned around went back home so I didn't want to be out in public for it but I remember being so shocked just genuinely just horrified um and then carried on being involved was helping in Rashnara Ali's campaign who was the um he's the MP for Bethnal Green because I lived around there and 2017 was super inspiring. Mm-hmm. Really great to see young people getting out there. Really great to see the the change in what was going on. And yeah, now 2019 have been canvassing since I got back from conference because obviously it's been totally overshadowed now. But we were starting the canvassing for Sadiq's 2020 campaign, which is now obviously not a hot topic and have spent every night after work uh, canvassing in marginal seats. So mainly this week has been in Kensington, where obviously we have a 20 seat majority, vote majority, sorry. And uh, Kensington is is a very strange place to campaign in because it's pretty much North Kensington is the area around Grenfell Tower. Uh, very um, strongly affected by poverty and austerity. South Kensington is pretty much the land of luxury mansions and incredibly opulent blocks of flats. Yeah, but even within that, you're getting uh, a real array of what people, pe- what people's political views. You know, we were in uh, we were in uh, states where people some people in the buildings were complaining about the housing associations not looking after them properly and in those same buildings that you can actually see Grenfell from the windows of these houses they a couple of people were saying they're going to vote for the conservative government which is obviously uh, a, a really tricky conversation to have uh, that being said 
canvassing is absolutely i sound so excitable about it but i think it's absolutely brilliant because you can you meet loads of like-minded people get a nice good rally at the beginning so everyone starts on their on their canvassing trail very hyped and you can see the direct impact and have conversations with real people which aren't being manipulated by the media which obviously as we've discussed isn't rarely in favor of of labor and the left um, Alicia, tell them about that voter we met in Rice Step on Tuesday. I mean... Yeah. Actually, 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 maybe don't say her name. Oh, oh, she won't. It's fine. She won't. Okay, all right. She we can she'll be fine. if it's a problem. It, yeah. It's fine. You, you know, the, how many Eileen's must there be in, right. in the world? No, she, and I don't think she would mind after okay, that. Okay, so tell, tell uh, that story. Yeah, so it was really wet, cold, windy, horrible day, uh, evening, and we went to a lady's house, and david as chris oh, sorry introduced, <laughs> introduced ourselves and she basically told us that she doesn't really vote and we were like can we try and convince you can we speak to you about some issues why we think it's important she said she thought boris johnson was a good guy was that her words good yeah, guy, yeah. something like that and we were like well actually you know your local hospital the peter pan ward there has actually been closed down and all because it's actually physically crumbling crumbling and children are having to be moved in towards with adults and she looked very very surprised about this and she was saying you know well he he says you know he's going to build us a new hospital and we were like we know he's walking around with the nhs lab coat on but he's actually not doing anything to actually help the NHS, carried on, explained to her about uh, the fact that the Tories are going to privatise the NHS, that it's probably going to be in a US trade deal and that, that people will then have to start paying for things like GP appointments or if they're ill, they're going to have to start thinking about whether to get treatment or to save their homes and look after their families. And not only did we convert this woman to vote, she's now going to be a Labour voter and I got a lovely hug from her at the end. So it was an absolutely... It just shows you that it's worth it, like just listening to people and and having that conversation. You take someone who feels completely, um, like you know, not not without voice and completely separated from the whole system, and then you give them that time and you listen to them and you help them see that they can actually make a difference and help society and you get rid of the myths. It is. It's a, a real rush when you can convince someone you. So you say win the argument, but you convince them to vote Labour. So, for example, in Kensington, the um, Brexit is very, very commonly comes up on the doorstep. And you can you have a lot of people who are not particularly big fans of Corbyn. They're quite strong Remainers. They are considering voting Lib Dem because they just want to stop Brexit at all costs. But you can appeal to their pragmatic nature. You just say... Uh, you can be straight, quite straightforward, say there are two people who are going to be prime minister after this election. One of them, hard Brexit, no deal. The other one offering a people's vote. And I always call it a people's vote because that's what these people were campaigning for uh, mm. for the last couple of years. And uh, you just say you have a choice. You have to make it. And if you vote for the Lib Dems here, the Tories are probably going to get in. The other thing I've had a little, uh, and this hasn't been on the doorstep, this has been online talking with Lib Dem leaning folk is that um, people are only sort of vaguely aware that the Lib Dems backed people's vote and obviously that they've moved on to their revoke Article 50 stance um, if they get a majority now. And most people are quite happy to obviously immediately understand, you know, Lib Dems aren't going to get a majority. 
that is what it is but i'd maybe like to vote for them because that's you know the way that i can best send a signal that i want to remain at all costs exactly as you said and obviously you've addressed a couple of ways of outlining why how you can combat that the method that i've had um that's been somewhat successful is pointing out which referendum the Lib Dems actually have advocated for. Um, I'm not aware if Swinson's personally advocated for um, what kind of referendum it would be. The last official word I heard it was still Vince Cable's, uh, which was Remain versus No Deal. Um, so unless uh, Joe Swinson wants to come out and change her stance on that, the actual current stance is going to be not, you know, Remain versus a soft Brexit deal that Labour's going to offer. Uh, staying in the customs union, not even Remain versus Boris's awful deal, which is well documented as its problems, but Remain versus no deal. And whilst pragmatically you might say, you know, the people that are most put off by no deal will perhaps grudgingly um, go Remain, and theoretically that might be the best way to chance a, a, a Remain um, outcome. I don't think it's sensible for MD to risk um, the, the no deal option. So I having the idea to put no deal as one of the referendum options is frankly suicidal um for the for the lab dems it's interesting that you guys are saying it's coming up a lot though um because here in bristol and glosson places like that then it's um it it's sort of notable for its absence like uh that's what it's like in south ryslip we didn't in uxbridge we didn't get brexit mentioned once yeah not um... once Kensington is obviously a very affluent area and lots of the people we're speaking to are Europeans who ha work here. Lots of people I spoke to personally worked in the city, worked in luxury, worked in property. So for them, this is a this is a really, really pressing issue. And actually, the one thing that was swaying lots of people who I was speaking to, even though they aren't Corbyn fans and they want to remain, is the fact that uh, the Liberal Democrats' stance on it is completely undemocratic and could lead to really horrible issues in this country. It could lead, you know, to a real backlash. And people understand who I've been speaking to that that will have much more serious consequences to this thing that we call society that we live in, you know? So that's a real, that's a real positive that I'm finding is that people actually comprehend that and are going on that journey. And it's just about convincing them that... Corbyn is Corbyn is not going to you know like one person got told that Corbyn was a KGB spy on the door. And oh it was, man! It was like I know I've got proof you know that sort of, <laughs> that sort of thing and it's just like well you know I can't you, there's no point trying to reason with that sort of discussion. Yeah, I was chatting with a few other new canvassers the other day and yeah, sort of that there, there are real limits to the sort of conversations that are worth continuing and sometimes you know the the point of canvassing often is just to get a labor face out there on the streets and then if you know that the person is just not going to be worth having that conversation then politely moving on to more prospective candidates is a better use of your time my my fiance is a former um labor councillor candidate um unfortunately didn't win um but she said that there were many a time and she's helped out with a couple of uh, other labor elections as well and is helping out with this one um, but she said she's uh, had a few different people that have um, said that they made up their mind based on, you know, who greeted them at the polling place on the morning. Mm. You know, the Tory said hi, but the others were all squabbling uh, and, and, and as little as that, you know, 
one of them came to my door and, and seemed nice and I didn't hear a peep from the others. Yeah. Just honestly, getting a face out can can make all the difference to, to some people. Well, mm. yeah, in 2015, I remember we were actually going to buildings and places in uh, ECA and taking people like, as in like a, a human bus, you were like walking people to the polling station because people people were nervous or didn't want to go by themselves and then actually returning them back home because it was this idea of people wanting to have their voice heard but feeling apprehensive about being alone in the process so it's a it is a huge part of it and we've not seen i've not seen any other canvases apart from labor canvases Mm -hmm. around in kensington there was 70 of us on thursday night um london young labor came along and it was it was huge Mm -hmm. we covered a lot of ground this is um, this is Labour's big advantage. I mean, the media may be against us, uh, but no other party has the same ground game. And you can't underestimate how effective it is to have a person talking to you, a one-on-one conversation, not filtered through the media. You can uh, uh, you present a basic humanity, and hopefully that that can be much more convincing than I don't know a hundred glossily produced political attack ads. Yeah. And it also makes people yeah. think about things like, so we get a lot on the door of uh, people saying, oh, well, I like Labour, but I don't like Jeremy Corbyn. And then the conversation I've had, like, I can't even tell you how many times, is, well, why don't you like Jeremy Corbyn? He's a Marxist. Uh, can you explain to me um, how he's a Marxist and what you what you mean? Oh, he's just too radical. Um, okay, you know, you're, you, you can think that. But could you could you give me an example? And one we had the other day on the door was a woman saying, well, they want to get rid of all private schools. And we were like, that's not actually Labour policy. That's not, you know, we haven't got the manifesto, but the policy, the thing that we are focusing on is that uh, private schools shouldn't be charities. Their charitable status should be taken away. And they should be treated like businesses. And this lady who was so sure that that was the most radical thing she could come up with, then started saying... Oh, well, you know, that that makes perfect sense. I can't disagree with that. <laughs> so it's even that, you know, people who are so stuck in what they think, as soon as you actually ask them questions, it really boils down to is they've seen enough headlines making this point that they believe it. And then when you actually mm. try and get facts, obviously there's nothing to ground it. There's no evidence. And then you sort of leave them asking you questions about the NHS, which is exactly where we want them, because Labour triumphs on that. There won't be an NHS without us. Yeah. So... It, yeah. it, re- it really does work. And that's why, you know, I've been saying to all my friends, um, yeah, because all my friends are, are, are Labour. I don't have any Tory friends. Good. Or, yeah, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> so all my friends have had an open invite uh, to come canvassing with me because I think it's really important to get out there and see. And I've been te- telling them all because, you know, lots of them are saying you're really politically engaged. Uh, we don't know that much. And it's really the thing I keep trying to emphasise to people to people and I've got one of my pals coming on Wednesday with me actually is that you don't have to know a, 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 a huge amount you just have to listen to people and have a conversation like I'm very happy to say when I'm on the door I'm not very economic I mm-hmm. can't have that conversation maybe one of the other people I'm out with can but if not you know MPs or candidates are happy to give you a call and have that conversation and come round and and answer those questions but it's about as you know it's about the engagement and the conversation that is why it is so important and realistically you're not going to get grilled on the doorstep about you know complex economic like nuts and bolts it just doesn't come up no the 
the human level conversations that you end up having um, and, you know, the ability to put a human face to a policy or redirect their focus onto something else is extremely helpful. Like you've just been saying, just it's it's about turning the conversation to presenting, you know, the, the actual facts, getting to think about things that they won't when they're just passively consuming newspapers or television media and stuff like that. That can yeah. be incredibly helpful. So, so we can all agree that Labour's ground game's got some uh, excellent techniques, especially uh, door knock and even leafleting is very useful. Um, uh, what are some other ways that people might be able to help out, either if you're not comfortable um, going out and actively canvassing or if you're not physically able for any number of other reasons? There's lots of things that you can do. So if, if, if you weren't comfortable with talking, but you wanted to be out and just in the environment, you can... Um, be in charge of the board or in charge of direction. So we get given a board which has um, the list of people who are registered to vote and how we maybe have collected in the past of uh, which way they're leaning. So you can go and you can manage the board and, and put in the data that uh, the canvassers collect. Or you can, as I said, be in charge of the map. You can also, if you you know don't want to or don't have the time to be out, you can get involved with Momentum. And Momentum actually are running lots of opportunities for people to volunteer their time, if that's uh, through text or calls. So you'll be contacting uh, Labour Party members and other people who have shown interest. You can also join their research teams, uh, if that's something that you're really savvy at. And you can always just like sign up to their website and you can see if there's other opportunities on social media and things like that. So the opportunities are really endless if you want to be involved. Like one of my family members in Cyprus is actually doing some translation because he felt too far away to actually be <laughs> able to, to help uh, and wanted to be able to do something. So, yeah, there's something for everybody. Yeah, I mean, the whole thing is uh, it's a proper organisation in its own right. So everything apart from... Um everything like that you need to do like data entry or um just yeah. any kind of um you know organizational stuff there's bound to be roles in your local groups that you can definitely step out to and get around and yeah. you know if you're if you're keen to get out there and try and do things but you know um are physically not able to then there's still phone banking there's running social media accounts all kinds of communications and stuff as well that don't require physical door knocking but there's there's tons of ways of getting out there it's great you can also campaign you don't have to be part of a formal campaign structure so for example in the election period i talk about politics quite a lot anyway but if you hear people having political conversations um and you feel up to it interject and if they're saying something wrong just point out that it's you know point out what labor party policy actually is because I heard some people on the bus talking about how Labour's Brexit party poli Brexit policy is confusing. <laughs> so I just turned around and I said, no, it's not. Here's what it is. <laughs> yes. And also, um, it's a, you can end up quite annoying, but browbeating your family into submission. Those are votes. <laughs> Um, no, you get on it. On emotionally blackmail your elderly relatives. Say, <laughs> well, okay, somebody party. had to say it. <laughs> yeah, if you vote Tory or Brexit party, you are going to break my heart. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's like with a picture of a sad puppy looking up at them. With wild <laughs> exactly. Yes. Like um, you've really got to be uh, quite mercenary about this. I mean, a vote is a vote, and you need to get just get them, get as many as you can. 
Um, even if it's just arguing with people on Twitter, like I have been deep in the FUBP mines, uh, turning uh, them towards Labour as the only route to remain. And my God, it's hard work, but they they are grudgingly coming round to the idea. Yeah, lovely. Um, just to say that mycampaignmap.com is a great website that shows local canvassing events. And you can pick where you're going to make the most. You can either pick where is nearest to you or where you can make the biggest impact. And it's it's brilliant because you can sign up that you're going. It gives you all the details of the uh, organisers. And yeah, you just turn up and get a rally. It's brilliant. Um, and just one thing I want to add on to the end of it. Canvassing is really, really fun. Like, I really enjoy doing it. I look forward to doing it. It's not a chore. Me too. Even going, you know, going out on the streets on a, a cold November night, like I really have a good time. Um, the only like downside of it is that it's so much fun and I enjoy doing it so much that I would be doing it all the time if I could. Yeah, you feel guilt when you're not doing it, right? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like genuinely, oh, wow. like I couldn't do it on Friday and was feeling like, oh, I wonder what it's going to be like on the doors, like messaging people in, because Ealing Labour have been going to marginals together, just being like, hey, how's it, how's it going? Any, <laughs> any feedback? Any, any people, you know, come over to the Labour Party? But you make lots of friends. Like I've made so many friends already from it. So even though your, your normal social life, you know, dies a sudden death at this time of year um, for election campaign, you get, you get new friends. Yeah, and Labour Party canvassers are very, very nice people. And fun. Yeah, fun and friendly. Sounds like uh, the election is a real early Christmas present for you guys, at least, huh? <laughs> Oh, you've got to to have that mindset, I guess. Like so many of us are coming like straight from work and then going straight out into the, like, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm putting my thermals on as I leave work and then going out. So you, I guess you have to, yeah, really focus on the positives of everything that you're doing. On election day, when that um, exit poll comes through and they say, Labour set to gain a majority, that will taste all the sweeter. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, I will take a moment to point out that uh, this is a left-wing politics podcast rather than a Labour Party one. So if you're listening (laughs) and, you know, in Scotland voting SNP, all the canvassing advice does still apply. um, But obviously the politics are slightly different. So please keep listening. (laughs) Anyway, let's move on to our closing segment. Um, we have a lovely game of a comment or commentariat Yay. for you uh, this evening. I have five um, uh, extracts, uh, either from uh, articles written for uh, a newspaper or magazine that they've been paid to write, or from comments below the line. Uh, your job is to guess um, which they are, if they are comment or commentariat. And then um, most people at this point um, have a good bit of experience at this game. Um, so start trying to guess um, where they were sourced from. Um, so you're welcome to make that as well. Uh, the first one up we have. Labour under Marxist Corbyn have gone far too left wing and on Brexit will not appeal to leave or remain. The Conservatives have been hijacked by the intolerant right and have gone far too right wing and only appeal to leave. The obvious choice for change is the centre and that is occupied by the Liberals. A vote for Liberals is a vote against extremes, a vote for tolerance and empathy. Is that comment or commentary yet? I'm going to say comment on that because I don't think a political journalist would say Liberals. I would like to think they would say Lib Dems or Liberal Democrats, but I could be wrong. 
Yeah, I think it's a comment, but just more that they're actually, um, well, I was going to say because they seem to be advocating for a particular party in that context. But no, they just said liberals rather than liberal Democrats. So maybe maybe that's not like a... It is capital L. Oh. If that helps. Uh, yeah. Well, not really, because the Liberal Party like disappeared when they became the Lib Dems. <laughs> but uh, no, I'll, I'll stick with comment. Yeah, me too. You are all correct. Um, it is, um, and I did consider doctoring it to say Liberal Democrats. For, um, <laughs> to, 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 I, I, I did spot that, that might be the giveaway. Yes. Uh, are any of you able to guess where I sourced that comment? Sounds guardian y to me. I'm going to say BBC News. I have no idea, sorry. Seb's right, it was BBC comments. Yes! Uh, <laughs> next up. At this point in the last general election, Theresa May had just shot herself in both feet, first with her robotic, maddening, strong and stable mantra that was already driving everyone crazy, and then her in with her insane manifesto pledge to impose a dementia tax. This week, Boris Johnson laid to rest any fears of a repeat, majority imploding string of hapless own goals, Johnson's was an upbeat, hugely positive manifesto delivered on Wednesday with all his trademark panache. Campaign launch was he watching? <laughs> uh, um, who's that delusional? Uh, I that sounds like commentariat to me. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's a comment. Yeah, that's so Chris is going commentariat. Alicia's saying comment. That level of bias has to come from a journalist. I'm going to say commentariat. Ed's commentariat. Are you able to tell me where from? Uh, Express. It is the Express. Ooh, well done. Yeah. Richard Meadley of Richard and Judy. Really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, no. I didn't know he was horrible. Well, I did, but, you know, not... Supposed to be basically all right. What? I'm surprised. Oh, he's, he's dead to me now. <laughs> Never meet your heroes, yeah. you know. <laughs> Not that he was yeah, there. was Richard Meadley writing in the Express, I believe, yesterday. Um, uh, I believe on the 9th. Ah. Next up. Boris Johnson, you've got it wrong. Nigel Farage has made a perfectly reasonable offer. The Brexit Party will try to take seats in Labour Leave Heartlands, which would never vote Tory if you paid them. He proposed that the Tories give us a free run in those seats, and in return, we will not stand against their Brexiteers. Comment. Comment is yeah, I someone think, in the Brexit party. I think comment too. So we've got comment across the board. It's commentaria. I want to come writing in the Express. Oh, <sighs> Jesus. I didn't know that there are any uh, contributing columnists saying us. Or oh, yeah. maybe like they were thinking of themselves as a lever rather than like a Brexit party. No, Anne Widdicombe is a Brexit oh, oh, party oh. MEP and MP candidate. Ah, yes, of course. Yeah. Oops. <laughs> Number four. The Conservative Party and Labour Party in their present forms are both absolutely disgusting. They are a mixture of incompetence, corruption, hate and selfish disregard for the UK public. They have achieved good in the past, but those times are long gone. The only way forward is with the Lib Dems. <laughs> this, this game's giving me a headache the longer it goes on. I can't take much more of it. <laughs> Yeah, I really feel for Alistair now and all the others that actually go and generate these or don't, or, yeah, extract these from the, the various hot take mines. Um, I think I think that feels like a comment. As, comment. Yeah, I guess I'm going to say commentariat. There's that appeal to, you know, sort of 
past goodness. So they have to justify previous articles that they've written or something. I'm going to go with comment just because it seems really, yeah, like not very neutral at all. Chris and Alicia on comment, Seb on commentaria. Seb, you're wrong, I'm afraid. Ah. It was comment. I was doing so uh, well. Any, like to guess where I got this one? Not hearing any beds, I'll just yeah. tell you. It was the BBC News. Uh. Uh, fair enough. I have one final extract for you. Uh, let me tell, let, let's see if you can tell if this is comment or commentary. Comparing Corbyn to Stalin is misplaced and frankly insulting to the millions who died under the Georgian tyrant's regime. Corbyn is an idiot, a Marxist, and a danger to our country beyond all doubt. But he's not Stalin, is he? And brutal though he was, Stalin was also highly competent, <laughs> which is not something of which you could accuse Magic Grandpa. Magic Grandpa? Ooh, okay, that's got to be a comment. Comment, Can't yeah. Can't imagine that, yeah. I think that's, I think that's commentaria. I think that's some former tr student trot who's gone very right wing. So Seb, you said comment, yeah, Chris, you're comment, saying commentaria. Yeah. Alicia, have you got an idea? I said, I thought comment. Chris, you're right. What? Oh. It was commentariat. Oh. Yeah. Outrageous. Is anybody able to guess who this was or who they were writing for? Uh, let me see. Gridget, is it Rod uh, Little? <laughs> it is the son and it is Rod Little. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Oh, that's awful. I was so certain that that first sentence there was going to be Jeremy Corbyn is not Stalin, and that's an insult to Stalin. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't look on left-wing sites. <laughs> I don't look... Or, or tankies. <laughs> anyway, yes, that was a, a good game. Um, I'm glad that I managed to get some, some a couple of you. Yeah. Uh, I was worried that I wasn't going to maybe bring it to the level of David or, or, or what David and Rob managed, but I think I just about got it. No, excellent work. Um, I continue my imperfect streak. Uh, so congratulations. <laughs> I get better at this. No, I was terrible. <laughs> it takes a little while to break your brain to get used to what this it, is. It unfortunately gets easier. <laughs> <laughs> Catch when you see that one. Yeah. I think that's us for the episode. Um, everybody should be encouraged to go out, campaign, uh, get a candidate that they want elected um, the best chance. Before we do go, um, I'll give a shout out to the Twitter account for the podcast, at PraxisCast. Um, I'll also mention my own at Mihal. If anybody was watching Question Time, as I alluded to earlier in the show, uh, I was the bearded gent um, replying back to um, uh, the Tory uh, on uh, this week's episode. Um, does anybody else have a, a social media account they would uh, wish to mention? Yeah, I'll pitch. I'll pitch mine. Uh, you can contact me on Twitter at PC Socialism. I've got the Marxist party where Karl Marx has uh, got a lampshade on his head as my little icon. Thanks. And I am uh, at London City Knight on Twitter. Um, if anyone wants to get involved in campaigning uh, in London, get in touch with me. Um, quite happy to meet up, chat about it in person, chat about it on the phone, take you out on the streets with us. Yeah, same here. I'm Alicia Jumman on Twitter. I have a rose that's very Labour themed, but it's my Twitter is dominated by Labour doorsteps. So if you're interested in getting out there canvassing, just hit me up. All right. Well, thanks, everyone. Uh, thank you for listening and hope to see you for the next podcast. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.